right, so we're going to be um, talking about Samuel. Um, we have been going through the major characters of the Bible because it's important that when we read the Bible that we know who, um, you know, they're talking about. And sometimes when you're listening to preaching, the preacher can kind of throw out this name or that name. And you, if you're not familiar or if you're kind of new to church, you may be going, who exactly is that? I've heard vaguely about them, but I'm not really sure the full context of their life. And so that's really what this series is about, not going really in depth into any given event, but giving a really good overview of a Bible character. And so tonight we're going to be talking about Samuel. Yes, that is first and second Samuel, Samuel. And his story actually reaches from the first chapter of Samuel, first Samuel, all the way to the last chapter of first Samuel. Okay. And you may say, well, that's not true, Destiny. He dies somewhere in there. Yes. But there is a crazy, weird story in the last chapter of first Samuel that I'm not even going to tell you about. You can go home and read it yourself. All right, so Samuel, um, this is the context when he was born. The kingdom of Israel had come out of um, slavery. So Israel, um, all, of, all of the tribes of Israel had gone into Egypt during a famine. Um, Joseph had saved you know, them by allowing them to come into Egypt. They had grown strong in Egypt. The Pharaoh had oppressed them, put them into slavery. God delivers the children of Israel through Moses. Okay, They walk through the wilderness, then Joshua helps them to fight into the promised land, and they establish a nation, um, the nation of Israel. And they're in the promised land, and then you go through 300 years of the judges. And this is at the very end of that 300-year period. And so the priest and judge, he was a priest and a judge. They weren't always priests and judges, but the priest and the judge at that time was Eli. Now, a judge was the person who settled disputes and kind of spoke on behalf of Israel. So they weren't really a political figure, but they kind of were. And they weren't really a, a judge, judge, but they kind of were. Because if you had a dispute, you would bring it to the judge. And so the priest, the judge at this time, was named Eli. And the guy before that, you might know, his name was Samson. And Samson, you know, is the famous story of, 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 the, of the great strong man. Um, he's probably one of the most well-known Bible characters in the world. People who don't even know anything about Christianity know about Samson because of Delilah, right? So Samson and Delilah. And as I was reading this, I started to kind of feel sorry for Eli because who wants to be the judge that follows Samson. Who wants to be the guy who's the next one? You know, I mean, can you imagine? Do you have superhuman strength? No. Well, the last guy did. Can you take down thousands of Philistines by yourself? No. 
the last guy did. Can you pick up, you know, the, the gates of cities and carry them on your back and then plant them on hills just to intimidate people? No, well, <laughs> the last guy did. You know, I'm, I'm kind of feeling sorry for Eli here. And during this whole period, Philistines are the ones who are tormenting the people of God. And so 1 Samuel starts with a personal, very personal story and a very personal struggle. It starts with a struggle of infertility. Now, my sister has spoken all over the world about her battle with infertility. Um, she's been wanting to have a baby for about eight years. And so, you know, if, if you guys are prayers, please put her on your list because she wants and believes that God is going to give her a child. And she has spoken all over the world about that struggle. But the, the strange thing about that particular battle is that it is always intimate and you are never invited into that until you're invited again. You know, if I invited you over to my house and, and I was putting some things together in my bedroom and I said, oh, come back here and talk to me. I'm just packing or I'm just cleaning. You would come back. But the next time you came to my house, you would never just walk back into my bedroom, right? And that's a lot like what this kind of intimate pain is like. I can talk to you about it. I can share with you about it. But the next time we come in contact with each other, it's still mine. It's still mine to share. It's not something that you ever are able to own or invade for me. And I think that's hard sometimes when we deal with our intimate struggles to be okay with the fact that it hurts and it feels like opening up every single time. And that's where we find this woman named Hannah. We find this woman named Hannah. Now, she was the wife of a Levite, and she was one of two wives because people had more than one wife sometimes then. And she was being tormented both um, literally and internally, so ex externally and internally, because she didn't have a child. Her um, the, the other wife, Paniah, was, um, was not um, very nice to her. And we get the feeling that the reason this other wife wasn't nice to her was because she was the husband's favorite. So there's just a lot of pain and a lot of dysfunction going on in this home. And she is broken more than anything. She just wants a son. She just wants a child. She just wants somebody. In fact, her husband loves her so much that, that he says, am I not enough for you? And she's like, no. I know that this is something that I want. I believe that this is a promise from God for me. And so she goes to the temple when they went to the temple, or not the temple at, at that point. She went to the tabernacle at that point. And she goes to pray, in the, you know, as you would. And she is praying and crying so hard that Eli thinks she is drunk. Have you ever been so upset that it's, it's not even the kind of upset that you can be in church? You know? I mean, it's typically pretty okay to cry in church. It's typically pretty okay to be upset at church. But, but there's like a level of upset that you know that you really need to be at home in your own bathroom or in your own closet, like all by yourself. That's the kind of moment she's having. And she's having it very, very publicly. And Eli is mad. And Eli says, how dare you come here drunk in the middle of the day? My goodness, woman, get a hold of yourself. You know, I think 
it's interesting how she replies to him because she doesn't reply to him with anger or with just, you know, disdain. She says, oh, no, Lord. Oh, no, my Lord. She goes, oh, no, I'm just hurting. I'm just hurting. She's just honest. She's just honest. And, you know, sometimes people can be offended by our pain. But if we'll just reply with honesty and say, I I get why you might be offended that I'm a little bit over the top right now, but let me tell you what's going on with me, then we can get to a moment like with what she had with Eli, because Eli says, you know what, I believe that you're going to have a child by the time you, you come back next year because of your faith. You're going to have a child. And that's exactly what happened. And she has a child and she's so happy. And she names him Samuel. And she had promised that if God gave her a son, that she would give that son back to God. Now, sometimes we say that with things, don't we? We're like, I will, if you'll just help me, then I will give my talents back to you. But it's kind of like in the theoretical sense. You know, like, like, don't call me and ask me to do anything for the kingdom of God with my talent. But, you know, I, it, theoretically, like, I'm just giving it to the Lord. She, she, this is not who Hannah was. Hannah was very literal. And when her baby had weaned, which was probably around four years old at that time, she takes that baby to the temple or to the tabernacle, and she gives him to Eli and says, he's going to live here now. And he's going to serve the house of the Lord. Wow. Can you imagine how incredibly difficult that might have been for a woman who was, um, for a woman who had wanted a child forever? And yet this is what she says about it. She was, he was actually somewhere between two and four, rather. Um, but he, this is what she says about it in 1 Samuel 2 through 1. She sings this incredible, beautiful song. It's, it's very much like Mary's song um, when she's singing to Elizabeth during Jesus' birth. But it says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Wow. Here she is at a moment where she's giving back her heart, literally. And yet she says, my heart rejoices because the Lord has made me strong. When we give, even from the most precious things in our life, when we realize that God gave them to us first and he gave them to us for a purpose, there is a joy that comes, but there also is a strength that comes from just taking what we've been given and putting it in the right place. And we would not have had a Samuel if there had not been a Hannah who was willing to put him in the place where he could become who God had intended him to become. So the first thing about Samuel's life is Hannah. The second thing is hearing, hearing. So Samuel's serving in the house of God, and he was sleeping in the presence of God. He was sleeping in the presence of God, but he served the judge priest, Eli. That's who he served. So he took care of him. He made sure everything was taken care of. And so one night he is sleeping in the presence of God in the tabernacle and he hears a voice and he thinks Eli needs something. So he runs and runs and runs and runs and he goes and he says, Eli, you know, what do you need? He's like, I did not call you. I'm just hearing things, so sorry about that. And goes and he lays down, and he hears a voice again. Eli, do you need anything? Mm, nope. Goes and lays down. And then he hears again. 
Eli, do you need anything? Now, Eli is not the sharpest judge in the line. But Eli knows when God is speaking. And he says, Samuel, God's speaking to you. Next time you hear the voice, say, here I am, Lord. Your servant is listening. Can I just tell you, as a church kid growing up, like every time you heard a voice and you weren't quite sure where it came from, you were saying, here I am, Lord, your servant is listening. Anybody have that experience? I did. I'm telling you, I can remember hearing this story from the time I was, you know, very, very, very little girl. And, And I can remember hearing voices, you know, of my parents and being like, but maybe it's God. I don't know. You know, I want to be like Samuel. I want to be somebody who hears, who hears God speaking and is willing to listen. And, you know, we get excited about God speaking to us, right? Because a lot of times it's like, man, God's going to speak to me. He's going to give me a word. This is going to be incredible. And this is what God decides to speak to Samuel. Samuel, I'm going to do a really, really tough thing. I need you to go tell your boss that his sons are so wicked that, um, you know, I'm going to end their, you know, dynasty and their family's going to get kicked out and there's not going to be any more um, priests or Levites with their name, okay? God, you want me to, you want me to say what? That's a hard thing. That's a difficult thing. You know, sometimes when we are people who choose that we're going to listen to God, God will tell us difficult things, not just to tell other people, but to do and to tell ourselves. I remember when God started dealing with me about TV. Y'all, I like me some TV. I like it. I like it a lot. I like CSI. I like Criminal Minds. I like Little House on the Prairie. I just like TV. I could watch it all day long, every day. I, li- I like the way it makes me feel. I don't feel alone in the house. I like the background noise. I, li- I, like all- I even like the commercials. I mean, come on. People spend millions of dollars putting those commercials together. Some of them are touching. I have cried at an Allstate commercial. I mean, they're precious. God started dealing with me about TV. He started dealing with me. I want you to give that to me. I don't know if I'm hearing you right, Lord. I mean, that just sounds like some type of religious rule. You know, you start pulling out stuff when you don't like what God is speaking to you. But if you're not willing to act on the hard thing, God won't trust you with the next thing. So Samuel is a little boy. They say somewhere around probably 11 years old or maybe a little older than that. And, and Eli asks him the next morning, what did you hear? Now, Eli knew that the Lord doesn't always say easy things. And so <laughs> it's really great in the Bible. He threatened Samuel's life and says, um, I, you, know, if, you know, may the Lord strike you dead if you don't tell me every single word he said. <laughs> I just love the Bible. It's great. And so he says that to him, and, and Samuel tells him the truth. Samuel tells him the truth. Eli says, well, the Lord can do whatever he wants to do. But this is what's neat. Is the next verse says this. 1 Samuel 3, 19. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him. And everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. See, God had found a prophet that he could trust. Because he was a prophet that was willing to just say the truth. To just say 
what he had said. And it says, and all Israel from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and give messages to Samuel there at the tabernacle. Sometimes I think that we are looking for a word from God, but we haven't been willing to act on the word that he's already given us. The hard thing, the simple thing. And we go, well, God, I just really, I need to know what to do next. And it's like, but I, but I talked to you about that friendship that's toxic and that's destroying you. I mean, you know, you know, you told your mom that, that I talked to you about that, but you haven't done anything about it. We're looking for the next word, but we haven't acted on the hard word. So Hannah hearing and then the hill. So Eli dies and Samuel becomes the judge. Eli dies just as was prophesied and there's this whole thing and you could read it and it's great. But Samuel becomes the judge. And this is something that I had kind of overlooked in Samuel's life is that Samuel also led his people into battle. Isn't that interesting? He also led his people into battle. 1 Samuel um, chapter 7, verse 3 says this. Then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, if you want to return to the Lord with all your hearts, get rid of your foreign gods and your images, turn your hearts to the Lord and obey him alone. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites got rid of their images of Baal and worshipped only the Lord. Samuel Samuel understood that the Philistines were oppressing the people of Israel. But first, what he decided to do is he spoke truth to the people of Israel and said, if you will give up some things, and if you will get right with me, if you will do what is in your power, I will do the thing that is in my power. If you will follow my way, then I will do what I promised. And Samuel was faithful as a prophet to speak that, but then he gathered all the people on this hill where they could corporately repent and where they could pray and where he could beseech God and say, God, come and conquer the Philistines. Well, because Samuel had gathered all the people, the Philistines went, I'm so excited. This is wonderful. This is so incredibly exciting. I was going to say snap. I have Jenny Green who lives with me, and I am getting lingo into my vocabulary that my professors would just be horrified by. Anyway, that's just a side note. Pray for me. God help me. Anyway, I, I don't think the Philistines said snap, but they probably said this is a very good opportunity for our army to take advantage of. And so the army mobilized to go to the hill to conquer the Israelites. Now imagine this, okay? Samuel tells the people, if you'll repent, then God will deliver you from the Israelites. So let's all get together and let's have this worship service and let's have this sacrifice service. And then all of a sudden, the Philistines start mobilizing and coming after them. And I am sure that there were people who were in the Israelite camp who said, this is not what we bargained for. 
See, what I was thinking is that I would do what you said, and then you would go to where the Philistines were, and you would destroy them before they even got off the ground. You would just do a preemptive strike. You'd take them out. It would be done, and there would be no more Philistines. But God had a battle in mind because God wanted to defeat the Philistines in a new way. And sometimes in our lives, we've done all the right things, and the battle's still coming at us, and we don't understand why. But if we'll hold fast, if we'll continue to press on, then we will see God do what he wants to do through the battle. And that's what happened. Basically, Samuel kept on praying. He kept on praying, and and the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day, and the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. And verse 13 says, So the Philistines were subdued and didn't invade Israel again for some time. And throughout Samuel's lifetime, the Lord's powerful hand was raised against the Philistines. What a hill! What an incredible hill. What an incredible marker to say God's voice scattered the enemies. I mean, that's incredible. What a wonderful memory. And so we see Samuel. Here he is. He's wearing a lot of hats. The Bible tells us that he was priest and that he was judge and he was prophet, that he was all three. He was priest, he was judge, and he was a prophet. Those are a lot of hats to have to carry. But this was a time where God needed to do a lot of things through one person. Where God needed to do a lot of things through one person. I can imagine that sometimes was a heavy burden to bury. You're the priest, you're the judge, and you're the prophet for an entire nation. And yet, even though he wore all those different hats, God honored him and God allowed him to be so incredibly successful. And so then we get to the handover. So Samuel comes to the end of his life. He is so honored. He has done such a great job as a priest, such a great job as a prophet, such a great job as a judge. He's been this warrior. I mean, it is absolutely incredible. And he comes to the end of his life, and he's like, look, I'm just going to appoint my sons, and they're going to be judges after me. And the bad news was is his boys, they just weren't integrous. They were greedy. They were stealing. They were taking bribes. And so the people of Israel, after all of his years of service, rejected his sons and instead asked for something that they had never had before. They asked for a king. Now, this was a nation that was unlike any other nation. They only had judges, judges of the people, Judges who God would just raise up this judge, and then he would raise up this judge. I mean, this was such a a, a crazy, incredible 300 years. But suddenly, the children of Israel are tired of being different. And they say, I want a king. And Samuel is insulted. He's insulted personally, and he's insulted on behalf of God. Have you ever been both? Have you ever had a hard time figuring out where one ends and the other begins? 
where you're personally insulted, but you're also insulted on behalf of God. You can make a great argument that you're really insulted on behalf of God, but you're also personally insulted. And so he begins to just get so angry, and he tells the children of Israel how, how stupid they are and how unwise they are. And then God tells him some things to tell them because he also is going, they need to be warned. But at the end of it, they say, no, we still want a king. And God says, okay, give them exactly what they asked for, exactly what they asked for. And so Samuel becomes the last judge, and he anoints Saul. He anoints Saul. Um, God chose Saul, and the Bible tells us that God chose Saul to free his people from the Philistines. And so Samuel anoints Saul, and then Saul does this incredible thing on the battlefield, and he defeats all these Philistines, and he is confirmed as king by word and deed, and Samuel is ready to retire. He's like, I have done a good job. I mean, it didn't turn out exactly the way I thought. I thought my sons were going to follow me. And, you know, that was, that was kind of shaky there for a little while. And I'm not really excited about the whole king thing. But it's all settled now. It's good. I mean, the Philistines have been defeated. They've got a king. Israelites happy. Philistines defeated. Saul's going to be the king. I like Saul. You can totally tell from the narrative he really likes Saul. He's a humble guy. This is going to go great. And so he gathers all the people of Israel, and he, sa- he gives his retirement speech. And he says, have I wronged any of you? No, you haven't wronged us. You know, have I ever done anything that was unjust? No, you haven't done anything unjust. And he tells them, and he ends his time with them in uh, chapter 12, verse 6. He says, it was the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron. He brought your ancestors out of the land of Egypt. Now stand here quietly before the Lord as I remind you of all the great Things the Lord has done for you and your ancestors. All the way to the end, he was making sure that he was a voice that reminded them of who they were and who God was and what God had done. And, you know, sometimes we can think about turnover and and handover and my time is past. But every single one of us, till our very last breath, always have to be the people who stand and say, I want to remind you of what God has done for us. I can remember asking my grandfather all the way until he lost his ability to remember and to speak, Tell me about what God did here because I wanted to remember. I didn't want to just remember the miracles of other people's lives. I wanted to remember the miracles of my life. I wanted to remember the miracles that had happened in his life, the miracles of the legacy that God had put me in. And sometimes we think that the wisdom that we pass on has to be so perfectly packaged into these succinct sentences. But it is the stories of God's faithfulness that will carry our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Because who can argue with a story? And then he says at the very end of telling them all these things and convicting them of sin and getting them to promise to obey God, he says, as for me, I will certainly not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you. Wow. 
I will certainly not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you. And I will continue to teach you what is right and good. But be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve him. Think of all the wonderful things he's done for you. But if you continue to sin, you and your king will be swept away. And, you know, I don't know. Samuel was a prophet, so he may have already had kind of a sense of what was to come. But it it seems like he was very happy to go back to his hometown and just to retire. Job well done, Samuel. You did good. You left the country. It's stable. It's all taken care of. You can go on and you can do other things. You can continue to pray and continue to teach, but you don't have to be that active, vindic- you know, that active voice, that active voice that says hard things, that active voice that tells hard truths. You don't have to be the one who's the judge. You don't have to be that person anymore. But that didn't last very long because the new king, this man that Samuel obviously really cared about, really had a heart for, Well, that guy was going to break Samuel's heart, absolutely break Samuel's heart. And, you know, you think about it. Samuel was raised with with Eli, and Eli's two sons were, the Bible says they were evil. I mean, they they were not good. Then his two sons end up being greedy and untrustworthy. And finally, he has picked a successor that looks trustworthy looks moral, just seems like he's got it all together. And then, and then Saul, then Saul decides to to do some things that absolutely break Samuel's heart, but also break the heart of God. Saul disobeys God. So they had a, 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 not a tradition, but there was a requirement within their community that before they would go out to battle, they would they would have sacrifices to God. They would ask God to to be with them in the battle. They would ask God to to take care of them on their journey. They would ask God to, to fight for them because Israel was unlike any other nation. TheIble says that they were a peculiar people. They were they were unlike any other nation because God fought for them. And and Samuel had seen this. I mean, God's voice had scattered his enemies. This is incredible. It's unbelievable. Saul had seen this. In one of his first victories, Jonathan, his son, had, had gone up and, and killed just, a, a, just tons of Philistines all on his own with his armor bearer. I mean, Saul knew that God was fighting on his behalf, but they had gathered to fight one more time with the Philistines. And uh, Saul noticed that the men were getting a little bit restless. And see, that, that sacrifice was also... A, a rallying point for the community and for the men. They would get excited. They were like, yeah, God's with us. Let's go. But that was just a side benefit. Well, Saul got worried that the men were getting a little bit restless. He was worried that the men were going to go home. He was worried that he would lose his army. And so he decided instead of waiting for Samuel, instead of waiting for the priest to come, and to give the sacrifice to God as God had decreed. He did it himself. And he had a good reason. I mean, 
we can't let the army go, you know? I mean, we just can't. You know, business is business. It just is the way it is. Don't you understand, Samuel? If we're going to fight, we have to have an army. And Samuel just looks at him like, do you not get this? Do you not understand what what you're shepherding here, what you've inherited? I mean, you're inheriting, you're, you're leading the nation of Israel, the nation of Gideon, who God said, you have too many men, and I'm not gonna get enough glory. The nation of Deborah, where, where God used a woman to defeat this army commander. The nation of, of, of Samuel, where there had been, you know, the voice of God had scattered the enemy. The, the nation of Samson, where one man was given supernatural strength to be able to destroy thousands. This was the nation that he was shepherding, but he forgot the power of God was the center and was the point of the entire exercise. He valued the ritual over what was real. Because see, those sacrifices were the only thing they had that was a relationship between them and God as a corporate body. And he put he put his ritual, his need above the need of the people. He put just doing it fast and doing it quick above really allowing God to do what he wanted to do. And you know, sometimes we can do the same thing. We can short circuit what God's trying to do by saying, you know, actually just logistically, it would be better if we did it this way when God's asking us to do it a different way. You know what, loving people big is super messy. It really is. It's messy. If you're gonna love the way that Jesus loved you, it's gonna be messy. It's gonna be inconvenient. It's gonna result in some 3 a.m. calls, right? I know it has in my life. Has Has that happened in your life? I mean, when you choose to love somebody big and suddenly you start getting inconvenienced, and you start saying things like, well, you know, honestly, I'm just, I'm just not sure because this is kind of messing up my, my spiritual life balance. And you know in your heart that God's called you to love the way that he loved. Maybe you, you know in your heart God's called you to give the way that you are supposed to. Or maybe he's called you to do something else or give up something else. But it just doesn't seem logical. And our logic robs us of a legacy because that's what happened. And this is why Samuel's heart was broken is because God said, you disobeyed me. And so you're not going to have a legacy. Your dynasty is over. There will be one Saul as king. There will not be your son on the throne or your grandson on the throne. I had intended on establishing you, but this is it. And when we allow our logic to trump his love, to trump his plan, to trump what he's speaking to us, then we lose out on our legacy. And it broke, oh, it broke Samuel's heart. It broke his heart that that here is this guy. He finally got a guy. He finally had the guy. And the guy let him down. And the Bible says that Samuel mourned for Saul all the days of his life. And, And Saul kept on choosing logic over God's way. 
I mean, he did it again in this whole other thing that you can read about. I mean, it's devastating. It's heartbreaking. He just kept on choosing logic instead of doing it God's way. Samuel's devastated. He's mourning. But then God says, that's not the way you're going to end your life. Oh, no, Samuel. That's not the way you're going to end your life. And in 1 Samuel 16, 1, he says this, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. He said, We're not going to live the rest of our life in heartache. We're going to move on to the next thing. We're moving on. You may not be ready, but I'm ready because I have something else for you to do. You may not be ready to step away from what was and what could have been and that circular loop of, well, did I tell him enough times? And, well, I just don't know what I have. I, I just, God, I'm just heartbroken. It was supposed to be different. It was supposed to be this way, and it's not. And I'm just heartbroken. And it hasn't ended up the way that I imagined. And I'm heartbroken, and I'm mourning. And God looks at Samuel and says, get up. You have mourned for Saul long enough. I have rejected him. You know, I think he put that in there for a reason. Because you can't argue with God. When God's drawn a line in the sand, the line's in the sand. You know, so many of us have lost something. And sometimes it's hard to get up from what we have lost, from what could have been, from the person who should have been this or should have been that, and move on to what God has next. Because God has a next. God has a next. God has a next person for you to disciple. God has a next person for you to love and to care about. God has a next ministry for you to invest your heart into. God has a next, but as long as we sit by the side of Saul, as long as we sit imagining what Saul could have been. Saul could have been so great. Can't you just see Samuel thinking that? Saul could have been amazing. He had all of the components. He was tall. And that's important in politicians. He was male. He, I'm sorry. Anyway. But he was tall. And he was strong. And he was all of these things. And, and he was powerful. And he was a warrior. Y'all, he was a warrior unlike anybody else. He was amazing. And guess what else? He wasn't greedy. And it doesn't look like he was immoral. And he wasn't any of this. God, I mean, it could have been amazing. Saul was the one. Can't you just hear Samuel just going over it over and over again? Just mourning. Just allowing that roop. And God just stops the tape. Says, stop talking about what could have been. I still have a plan. I still have a promise. I still have something. And guess what? You still get to be a part of the story. Because this is what's so neat. Is that God could have allowed Samuel to die and then he could have anointed David later on. But before Samuel died, he got to anoint King David. 
King David, the one who would be the king by whom all other kings would be measured, the one who would establish Israel, who would be a man after God's own heart, the one that Jesus would be known as the son of David. Because Samuel said, I'll obey one more time. I'll get up. I'll stop mourning Saul. And instead, I will go to the next. I may be heartbroken, but there's still room for hope. He got to be a part of this incredible epic story one more time. Will you stand with me? We're just going to pray. I hope that you learned something about Samuel. Totally encourage you to read the book because it is fantastic and the Bible will transform your life and, and they're great stories. But you know, if you're in this place and, and you just say, I've been really heartbroken by life, by just some things that have happened, things just didn't turn out the way that I wanted them to. And I've been mourning. Maybe it's mourning the loss of your potential. That's a hard one to get over. Everybody told you you were so great and you were going to do so many things and it just hasn't turned out the way you thought. Maybe you're mourning a, a spouse that it seemed like it was going to be perfect and then they left and it was devastating for you. Maybe you're mourning a job that you never thought you would leave but the door closed. I, I don't know what you're mourning. Maybe you're mourning a ministry that you were part of and, and it's just not there anymore, a season of life. It's okay to be heartbroken. God sees our heartbreak. There's nothing in the Bible that says that we can't be heartbroken. But there's room for hope. And God has a next for us. And we have to get up, even heartbroken. And we have to take the Holy Spirit with us. The Bible says that he picked up a horn full of oil. And the Old Testament always represents the Holy Spirit for us. And he took the Holy Spirit with him. And he walked into his next. And if we were going to count all of the things that Samuel did in his life, telling Eli the truth and being a great prophet and being a wonderful judge and, and seeing, you know, the Philistines routed from that hill and, you know, doing the transfer and all of these different things. If we were going to look at all of the things that Samuel did in his life, probably the most important thing he did in his life was anoint David. And it was the thing God asked him to do in the middle of his heartbreak, in the middle of of his heartbreak. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that you have a hope for us in the midst of heartbreak, that you have a hope, that you have a purpose, that you have a next for us. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open enough to hear your voice say, stop mourning. You've mourned long enough. Stand up. Gather your broken heart. Take my Holy Spirit with you and walk into your next because there's a legacy waiting for you that you didn't know. You thought you lost that legacy because of the people who had disappointed you, because of the things that didn't turn out the way that you thought. You thought you lost your legacy, but you didn't even know the legacy I had.